from the author of the book by the same name. It's the Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast with Mark McRae. I'm Dan Clink, and welcome. Welcome, everybody, to the Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast. This is Mark McRae. We're about to talk about something really cool this episode, a history of violence, changing social sensibilities, and government involvement. That's right, a history of violence, violence in our cartoons. Mark, where where did it all begin? I'd like to say with the first cartoons, the theatrical shorts. So that's your Warner Brothers, Looney Tunes cartoons, the MGM shorts, such as Tom and Jerry, the Disney shorts, Mickey Mouse, the Fleischer shorts uh, featuring Popeye and Betty Boop. Those were like really our first animated theatrical entertainment. And a lot of the violence really started in those cartoons. I mean, especially Popeye. I mean, there was a fight in every episode. Uh, I want to make a Popeye's chicken joke, but I just don't have one coming to me right now. (laughs) It goes back to the beginning. The violence in cartoons goes back to the beginning of cartoons. Right. But I don't think it was really considered violence. Sure. I mean, a lot of it was slapstick stuff, you know, like maybe a pie being thrown in someone's face or a food fight wasn't necessarily considered violent. Uh, violence where the, the, the laws of reality simply don't apply because these are cartoon characters. They're getting bent out of shape. They may go through an airplane rotor or, you know, taking a potted plant to the head. Right. I'm going to take this damage, turn around, make an angry face, and then we move the plot forward. Exactly. It was understood pretty much from the get-go. This isn't real. And very much in the comedy sensibilities of the day, you've got the Marx Brothers, Charlie Chaplin, mm-hmm. Buster Keaton. Right, or the Three Stooges. Or the Three Stooges, for that matter. There you go. Mm-hmm. That were constantly slapping each other around and crashing through doors. Right. A lot of slapstick comedy going on. And, and slapstick in itself isn't necessarily considered violent. Right. To your point, terrible things happen to cartoon characters, you know, being rolled over and flattened out. But right. they always were able to bounce back and the cartoon would continue. Right. I mean, you didn't think about the cartoon character actually dying. Nobody back in those days actually thought that a kid watching these cartoons would be bad. Right. Much later, we'll talk about it. But a lot of people later in the age of television thought that the behavior might be imitated right. by kids. Right. But in the 1930s, the movies is still a new medium. Right. People are loving it. And the fact that they can just leave their homes and be entertained. And, you know, you also have to think about it, too, back in the day that before the age of television, people went to the movies every day. Oh, yeah. I mean, hell, as a kid, you would show up at uh, 8 a.m., 10 a.m. until, right. what, 3, 4 in the afternoon. Right. And, you know, for a pretty low price of maybe 25 cents, you know, you could see 10 cartoons and two movies. Exactly. And you would be in the theater the entire day. And get your news while you're at it. Right. <laughs> your news reel. That's right. So that's where things started, you know, in the 1930s. And then um, World War II shows up and everything changes, including animation, what it's used for right. as, a, uh, as, as a tool. If you want to uh, yeah, get a bit of that. Um, there were a lot of films, live action as well as animated, that were being made to help with the war effort. And it was all about being loyal and, and being a patriot and doing all that you can to support the war. Exactly. A lot of the animated cartoons of the day reflected that effort. 
And if that meant the enemy got blown up or bombs hit Germany or Japan, so be it. So be it. That's the enemy. That's what we're all focused on, kids. Total war. Right. America was in the fight for its life, so no one batted an eye over whether these cartoons were too violent or not. No, no. It was a violent world. Violence was just another Tuesday. We live in a world of violence. You take a cartoon, um, and I forget the name, it was a Disney cartoon, starred Donald Duck, talking about paying your taxes. You got to pay your income taxes. <laughs> and the tagline that was repeated throughout the episode is, taxes to kill the axes. Right, right. To I kill. Think that was... <laughs> Talk about a call to action. Like, hey, even you can help kill the enemy. Go pay your taxes. Yeah. Right, right. I believe that cartoon you were referring to was called Donald Duck and the Nazis from 1940. Donald Duck and the Nazis. Donald must learn to save his money for taxes to help with the overall war effort right and that line that you repeated as well as three or four others is drilled you know. into you yes drilled in mm -hmm. total war kids you know think about that <laughs> pay attention in history class because <laughs> you know I, I prefer the cartoons we have today yes sir and so, you know, the war ends and television starts to make its presence known. Yep. And the early 1950s was sort of a transition for the entire entertainment industry because you have people staying home watching television. So that affects that economy. And one of the first things that gets dropped are the cartoon theatricals. You know, the uh, your post-war economy, United States, we ruled the earth. And we were it, baby. We were the only game in town. Right. Cost of living versus income was as good as it w ever had been and probably ever will be. Now, at the same time, we have this new social class that Earth has never truly experienced at this level before. And that is truly the child, the teenager. And right. it, it, that now the cartoon is going to be shown at home. The commercials. The invention of the American baby boomer right and all of a sudden there is this laser beam targeting to adults as well as children for advertisers to sell their wares yep. and advertising agencies actually sponsored half or sometimes the entire program for television back right. in those days that right. was the model and uh with a lot of these animation studios being pushed to the side because a lot of the studios are making less money, right? People like Hanna Barbera have to go into the television business, right? Television means limited animation, yep. but the kids don't care or notice. And Hanna Barbera creates the formula for the perfect television animation series, right? When it came to uh, story structure, if you will, what did they fall back on? Uh, <laughs> slapstick, right? Right, right. They fell back on slapstick. And, you know, they won seven Oscars animating Tom and Jerry. And, you know, if something is working for you. Hey, why not try it for television? They even ported over a lot of those yeah. uh, 1930s cartoons and kind of edited them into a, a, a television square, which wasn't quite the same as a movie theater square, which... By the way, kids, movie theaters were also squares for a while. <laughs> yes, they ported over to television. Yeah. One of their uh, big successes was a cartoon called Pixie and Dixie. Pixie and Dixie. That was original for television. Right. 
And basically, it's the same premise as Tom and Jerry, except this time there are two mice, Pixie and Dixie, and then there's a cat named Mr. Jinx. Right. And all the characters talk, unlike Tom and Jerry. Yeah, nobody there had to have experience with, like, pantomime or anything like that. <laughs> now let's, let's kick it over to the screenwriters. Exactly. And uh, this cartoon was pretty slapsticky and, and, you know, pretty violent. I mean, if you compare what the standard was from the original Tom and Jerry, in a way, Pixie and Dixie was considered the same, you know, sure. more slapstick than violent, but... I think they kind of pushed the envelope kind of, a little bit more. They kind of upped that game, didn't they? We, yeah. We see kind of, a, kind of a ratcheting up. <laughs> and of course, nobody's complaining about the violence. Right. Because this is what people are used to. They're used to cartoons having slapstick. So, right. and it's something that's keeping the kids occupied. They don't have to, no one has to take the kids to the movies now because they can watch it. Yeah, on just turn, turn on the TV and walk away. Right, exactly. Yeah. Go, exactly. Go, go, go smoke your Lucky Strikes, have a cup of coffee, and think about uh, how you're going to finance the, the fangled new washing machine. <laughs> anyway. Around the same time, around the late 50s, early 60s, a lot of the theatrical shorts, Looney Tunes, and, and Tom and Jerry are now being broadcast on television. Right. And there are some things going on that get edited out because they're too much for TV. Oh. It was mostly racist images that got cut out. Okay. But like much, much later, I want to say in the 1990s, when some of these shorts showed up on cable, then the gunplay and even scenes of suicide got cut out of the cartoons. Another another thing happened uh, around that time. Johnny Quest... Now that wasn't a slapstick cartoon. Oh. That wasn't. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. You know, try to drop an anvil on Roadrunner or hit Tom and or Jerry with a frying pan. This is. <laughs> we're, uh, we're 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 going to the next level now. Right. So Johnny Quest was an action adventure primetime animated series. It was groundbreaking. The animation done in the series was groundbreaking. It was essentially, though, I feel like, and you can agree or disagree with me, a Cold War cartoon. I disagree. <laughs> I completely disagree. Okay, so we're going to debate this. Yeah, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, no, you're totally right. Yeah. If I was good at a Russian accent, I would uh, be like, I, I disagree with you, comrade. Uh, it was American propaganda and, la, 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 and you know, in Soviet Russia, you know, Tom Jerry's you. No, no, absolutely. It was a, a Cold War piece. Mm -hmm. Johnny's dad had a bodyguard, a government assigned bodyguard, Race Bannon. Race Bannon. Mm -hmm. Now, we say he was his bodyguard. Wink. You know, I think uh, he didn't have to only be the bodyguard. I think maybe <laughs> off, off the clock. Don't go they, there. They didn't mind. Okay. Anyway. 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 Oh, my gosh. Uh, yes, that has been um, a theory for... Anyway, I'm not... See, now you're making me go there, so I'm, I'm not going to go there. But anyway... Okay, we're not going to go there. All yeah. right. Race Bannon bodyguard. He's a bodyguard uh, for Johnny's dad and... Dr. Quest is a highly regarded scientist who essentially works for the government. Right. If that show was being done today, I feel like he would be working for the CIA or the FBI, you know? Absolutely. Somebody that has very high government clearance for sure. And right. of course, you know, the kids, Johnny and Haji, were yeah. all part of the action, even even Little Bandit. Oh, yeah. Everybody kind of got caught up in everything. And so right. it was a great balance of 
someone for the kids to cheer for and something right. interestingly enough with cold war storylines to keep adults interested plus right. there was just like this whole spy genre popularity going on back during this time james bond had already hit and was a huge success and the country was just kind of going spy crazy you know everything was about spies and even archie comics had a a comic book that was a kind of knockoff of the man from uncle which was another spy series you had get smart that was also a spy series even rocky and bowinkle with boris and natasha oh right uh, secret squirrel it was the cold war was really kind of permeating everything and i have to say it was the soldiers that fought in the war who are now the adults Mm -hmm. who are running the country certainly the studios even in very very quote unquote peacetime it's almost like there's still this total war way of thinking yeah absolutely and uh even though there wasn't the patriotic rah 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 going on in johnny quest everybody watching was rooting for Johnny and Race and Dr. Benton right. Quest and, and Haji and and right. hoping that they come out okay. And a lot of the enemies were countries and people that at the time the United States was not necessarily friendly the with. The Soviets, bro. It was the Soviets. <laughs> it was just to say it. They don't exist anymore. I, I their their lawyers aren't gonna call us. It was there was the it was the Soviets. It was the Soviets. It was it was the Soviets, it was also uh, China as well. And where did the adventure take place? The adventure took place in the third world. Right. Always in the third world. Which was the, the, the battleground of the Cold War. Yes, absolutely. So you had Dr. Zinn, who was like yep. the main villain. You got the impression that he was just as smart and brilliant as Dr. Quest, but, you know, obviously yeah. he was working for the enemy. He adopted a whole other uh, socioeconomic philosophy <laughs> otherwise. <laughs> right. But to your point about the countries where the adventures took place, they met Haji in Calcutta, India. Well, we'll get into Haji in our white paternalism episode <laughs> late, later on in the show. Right, right. But the show had a lot of violence and a lot of gunplay. Someone was definitely guaranteed to die, usually a bad guy, every episode. Yeah. And usually when someone died on Johnny Quest, there was a blood-curdling scream, you know, so you know they were getting it or they were dying. And I always thought that that was interesting as well. And if they didn't get shot at, they got blown up. <laughs> they got dead in a not entirely graphic way, but in a in a very definite way. They they got dead. The show also kind of touched on horror. There was one episode where they had to battle like this mutant monster, and it's like one of the creepiest episodes ever. And in that particular episode, you kind of love the fact that they're throwing. <laughs> grenades and bombs and everything at this monster because when I was a kid and I watched that episode, I was in absolute fear. And so every now and then they were bringing a little bit of a science fiction angle. It almost made the violence acceptable because now it's almost like the aliens is still representative of these villains that are part of the Cold War. Right. You know, it's it's just another way of saying that whether it's an alien or human, this person is the enemy, and they have to go. That's right. An enemy of America. <laughs> Whether an enemy in America is Earth. So, hey, aliens, beyond, beyond notice. <laughs> 
There's also an infamous episode called The Devil's Tower that later got scrubbed Mm. by a lot of broadcast networks and cable networks because they show a pre-Nazi symbol in the episode. And so before the swastika got invented or got the test run, (laughs) I guess there were other symbols. Proto-Nazi junk. You know, I'm not sure if it was a broadcast person or a cable person that spotted it, but kudos to them because unless you're a history buff like yourself, (laughs) you know. Thank you very much. (laughs) I don't think that it's something that a lot of people would have noticed. The way that, uh, and I could be wrong. I I, I certainly wasn't there myself. But the way that uh, the Nazis have been viewed through American pop culture uh, since the end of the war onwards, there's certainly an evolution. I think at this point, and I see this also even more so in British entertainment from the time, we know what they did. And the, the information is there, and nobody's trying to shy away from it from what I know. At the same time, the 50s, the 60s, they're still very much seen through this lens of they were our tactical enemy. There was less focus on, say, the Holocaust. Right. More focus on they are indeed a malevolent force trying to uh, conquer the Earth, as we have always had malevolent forces trying to conquer the Earth. Very easy to uh, project them as evil, and we are good. Uh, Nazis make that. That's the way. There's one thing good about Nazis. They let you know that uh, no matter who you are, you are probably the good guy if you are not the Nazi. Right. And you know, we, we needed Germany, West Germany, as our ally. It was the front line of the Cold War. We, Werner von Braun you know, created the V1, V2 rockets that killed thousands and thousands of allies, uh, ended up getting us to the moon. The Nazis are a brilliant story device in terms of a villain, very easy. At the same time, we don't want to go too far with it. Right. So whereas today, man, that would not fly. Today, we recognize the Nazis for what they really are, evil, satanic pigs who stand against the very notion of civilization itself. Yeah. You know. To me, I feel like the Devil's Tower is almost like the ultimate Cold War episode because episode 25. Right. It harkens back to World War II in a sense of, well, these guys were the original enemies and mm-hmm. Russia was our friends during World War II, but as soon as yeah. the war was over, they became our enemy because they well, wanted to <laughs> to take <right>. over. <laughs> yeah, well, they had the same. They had the same plans that that America had. Put it that way. Hey, everybody, look at our look for our spinoff podcast. <laughs> uh, Mark, Mark, and Dan <laughs> jabber on endlessly about uh, history. Yes. Yeah, we we hated them before World War II. We hated them after World War II. But uh, right, you know, but, enemy of my enemy, so to speak. Yes. But yeah. yes, it's all of that. And so to kind of put that in, it's like, yeah, well, the whole cartoon series has been about the Cold War, but if a Nazi shows up, we'll take care of them also. Well, you got to. You have to. I mean, you know, the 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 Soviets were our you know kind of the the, the global counterbalance. I don't want to get into right and wrong. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to Nazis, oh boy, they are wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, this episode, The Devil's Tower, episode 25, uh, modern cable cartoon stations have not aired this, have not been allowed to air this episode, right? Correct, correct. So it never aired on Cartoon Network and it never aired on Boomerang. Right. When I was programming for Cartoon Network, there were notes in the the software system we used to schedule that said, do not air. Right. 
So sometimes, even if you aired something by accident or, or scheduled something, it would get flagged by someone or the software itself that you were using would flag the episode. And right. even if you still schedule it, it would still show up on the programming grid as do not air. <laughs> It's almost like uh, like our well, like our uh, getting to the Cold War analogies, uh, like a failsafe system, like the nuclear yes. launch codes. It's like <laughs> exactly. multiple redundancies to make sure this episode does not air. Right, right. Did you ever wonder why there are 24-hour kid networks? In my book, The Best Saturdays of Our Lives, I write about how Saturday morning became a competitive business and the proving ground for what would become the 24-hour kid network. My book covers the Big Bang with the 1960s explosion of high ratings to the early digital age of Saturday morning's last hurrah, the 1990s. You can purchase my book by going to thebestsaturdaysofourlives.com and I will ship you a signed copy. What I find fascinating, cartoon in terms of cartoons being ahead of the curve, at the curve, right before the outbreak of World War II, certainly uh, a couple of years before our actual involvement, there was a cartoon that came out in 1939, a, a post-apocalyptic little piece that came out of MGM, a very anti-war cartoon called Peace on Earth. Yes. Uh... Right, right at, right at, the, right at the, the dawn of World War II. I mean, we're talking... Uh, uh, August 1939 for Europe? Right. Yeah. Let's get into that a little bit. Yeah. So uh, Peace on Earth is a very interesting animated short. The story is told through the eyes of animals who are now the dominant species on the planet. And you get the feeling that humans no longer exist because right. through war, they blew themselves up. Right. And it's a very, very dark, interesting, very nicely animated, beautifully animated uh, cartoon. But it's 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 almost like a cautionary tale, right? That if we don't get our act together, this might be our true fate, right? And I just thought that the cartoon itself was like really progressive for 1939, and the fact that it came from MGM, you know, home of the Wizard of Oz and and the great musicals that the directors, you know, or the director rather, and the writers went in this direction with this um, animated short. It's interesting that at the uh, the beginning of the story of uh, violence in the history of our cartoons, it begins with. Uh, a, a, a call to pacifism, a call to slow down, a call to look out, everybody. Right, right, exactly. But, you know, that era is pretty interesting because, you know, I feel like the war cartoons kind of fall in three categories. There is the funny war cartoons, you know, something like Drafty Daffy, where right. the draft board is trying desperately to, to draft Daffy Duck in the war. Or there's Japatours which is a very racist Superman cartoon that really has nothing but the worst things to say about Japanese people since they were the enemy. Or the third category would be that we dealt directly with the Nazis. So a cartoon like Donald Duck and the Nazis, for example, from 1940 would definitely be the third example where we're showing and displaying everything that we could to blow the Nazis up and to blow up Hitler and to uh, take charge and also to make sure that we are following all the World War II rations and that we're doing everything as American citizens to support the war. 
So right. um, including war bonds and there were gas rations. And a lot of these things are included in the cartoons as, right. as little jokes, things that people had to deal with sacrifices that people sure. had to deal with. It, right. Like, hey, know? we're all in this together, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Extolling not only the virtues of standing up for our country, but down to earth, very practical reminders of, yeah, this is the new world we live in. Uh, the food ration cards, certainly the war bonds, where to go and uh, donate old tires. Hey, kids, do you want to volunteer to pick up tin and collect bacon grease from your neighbors? Come on down. <laughs> Or even like uh, in Falling Here, they talk about the A card sticker. Yeah, right. On a car was like the lowest priority of gasoline rationing. Right. In the cartoon itself, it was a little bit of a, a saw point. I mean, it was used as a joke at the end of the cartoon, not to give right. anything away why something didn't happen. Right. But when the cartoon was aired on television, I think a lot of kids didn't actually get the joke because a lot of us didn't know what an A card was. No, you had to go ask grandma. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Grandma, why is this Daffy Duck cartoon funny? You have 30 seconds to describe Thunder Talk. It's pop culture. With a twist. It's music. LBGTQ+. And comedy. Well, dark comedy. It's nerd junk. It's comic books. Video games. Conventions. Yeah, nerd junk. And social commentary. It's woke, yo. Yeah, and nerd junk. Woke nerd junk. Thunder Talk is all over the place. Every place you want to be. Thunder Talk is a proud member of the ESO Network. Find us at thundertalk.org and download us on all podcast platforms. All right, everyone, tune in for A History of Violence, Part 2, Superheroes, Vietnam. Uh, We're going to be going all the way, uh, well, I don't know, you'll get Transformers maybe after that. But hey, you know, keep on coming back for that good stuff. Mark? Yes, all those things that Dan said and more. Uh, We will go full on in part two of A History of Violence, where we will pick up with the introduction of the television superhero series, Superman, Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, and how those had an impact on Saturday morning, coupled with the Vietnam War, and how network executives, parents groups, networks, and studios kind of mixed and mingled together, and pretty much went to war yeah it's gonna be really exciting don't miss it everybody be there the best saturdays of our lives podcast is a co-production of the best saturdays of our lives studios and the weirdos workshop to get a personalized signed copy of the best saturdays of our lives book go to the best saturdays of our lives.com this is mark mccray signing off 